Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Schlumberger Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participant lines are in a listen-only mode. Later, there will be an opportunity for your questions. As a reminder, today's conference call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Vice President of Investor Relations, N.D. Madhu Amesia. Please go ahead. Thank you, Cynthia. Good morning, and welcome to the Schlumberger Limited third quarter 2020 earnings call. Today's call is being hosted from Houston, following the Schlumberger Limited board meeting held earlier this week. Joining us on the call are Olivier Lepeuch, Chief Executive Officer, and Stéphane Biguet, Chief Financial Officer. For today's agenda, Olivier will start the call with his perspective on the quarter and our updated view of the industry macro, after which Stéphane will give more detail on our financial results. Then we will open for questions. Before we begin, I would like to remind all participants that some of the statements we'll be making today are forward-looking. These matters involve risks and uncertainties that could cause our results to differ materially from those projected in these statements. I therefore refer you to our latest 10K filing and our other SEC filings. Our comments today may also include non-GAAP financial measures. Additional details and reconciliation to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures can be found in our third quarter press release. With that, I will turn the call over to Olivier. Thank you, Andy. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Thank you for joining us on the call today. In my opening remarks, I would like to focus my commentary on three parts. First, our third quarter operational and financial performance. Next, progress with the implementation of our strategy. And third, our updated view on the near-term business outlook. After this, Stefan will provide greater details on our financial results. In the third quarter, we had an opportunity to demonstrate the significance of the measures we have taken over the last few months and set a marker of our performance through top plan resilience, margin expansion, and by maintaining our strong cash generation track record. In an ongoing activity trough, our third quarter sequential performance was exceptionally strong. Yet again, we continue to maintain benchmarks of safety and service quality in our operations. Sequential margins expansion rebounded by more than 300 basis points for both ABT and EBITDA, and free cash flow was solidly positive. The strength of our margin expansion and free cash flow performance is even more impactful in the context of a slight top-line decline and exceptional items during the quarter. I would like to thank the entire Schlumberger team for this remarkable performance and for excellence in execution. These results represent a defining step in the reset of our earnings power at the trough of the cycle and set the stage for our long-term outperformance. Starting with operations, in the third quarter, we maintained benchmark integrity performance with year-over-year improvement at 30% in HSC incident frequency and 34% in reliability. Operation integrity remains an hour of strength for Schumerger and the foundation of our performance strategy. Our consistent service delivery earned several letters of commendation from our customers and is the basis of multiple new contract awards recorded in the quarter. Financially, we posted higher sequential pre-tax operating margins, more than 20% EBITDA growth, and positive free cash flow despite 
the severance payment and reduced working capital release versus the prior quarter. These results clearly set us on the path to our intermediate goal of restoring 2019 EBITDA margins before the end of 2021. Now let me turn to our strategy. First, our restructuring program is progressing well, and we are on track to realize most of our permanent structural cost savings as we exit this year. We also began a transition to our linear customer-aligned structure, comprised of divisions and basins, designed to support the basin-specific innovation that will solidify Schumerger's position as the performance partner of choice. Next, in North America, we achieved key milestones on our scale-to-fit strategy, with two transactions that advance the high grading of our portfolio while lowering capital intensity and volatility, the Liberty transaction and the low-flow divestiture. The closing of this transaction will not only enhance our EBITDA margin at the global level, but will further support lower capital intensity and an accelerated path to our financial goals for North America. Looking ahead at the benefits of this strategic execution, we are set to significantly improve the company's future operating leverage, and as the market activity recovers from the current trough, we have the potential to restore EBITDA to the 2000 mark, 2019 mark of $6.6 billion by recovering only half of the year-on-year revenue decline. Our performance strategy also focuses on horizon of growth, which includes digital and production recovery. The industry is rapidly embracing digital enablement and shifting capital investment towards maximizing production recovery from existing assets. Where these two industry shifts converge, in essence, where digital intersect with production and recovery, Schlumberger has a unique opportunity to deploy the full power of our industry digital platform and domain expertise spanning reservoir and production for the benefit of our customers. The best example of this was the application of our Agora Edge AI and IoT solutions in our APS project in Ecuador. By connecting field equipment to the cloud and running predictive AI at the edge, we boosted production 30% on Agora-connected wells while significantly reducing fuel crew visits to these wells and as such, cutting HSE exposure and environmental impact. This created revenue and margin on an APS project where we captured the value directly and it's just an example of what is possible at scale when we, use, when we use the power of the industry digital platform to blend hardware and software to enable people, wherever they are located, to make performance impacts with digital. In addition, we continue to expand the reach of our digital platform, as demonstrated by the IBM Red Hat OpenShift Agreement, further enabling adoption of our platform around the world and particularly with NOCs. In the quarter, we have also secured notable subsea and artificial list contracts in the Gulf of Mexico and in the Middle East, which will result in a growth of our install base and greater exposure to production recovery capex and opex, a strong platform for the future. Finally, we continue to develop our new energy portfolio, which we've progressed in our hydrogen technology venture Genvia and the creation of a geothermal project development company, which complements our low-heat geothermal venture Celsius Energy. This exciting venture represents a mix of new, unique opportunities for Schumerger to create a differentiated market position through the energy transition. In parallel, we continue to develop avenues to contribute to the decarbonization of oil and gas operations, leveraging our technology, expertise, and execution platform to reduce our environmental impact while helping our customers reach their environmental goals. 
Let me take a few moments now to talk about the outlook. In the short to mid-term horizon, the market uncertainties persist as the economic recovery remains fragile. The pace of demand recovery could possibly slow a pause, and as a result of a second wave of pandemic outbreaks or heightened pandemic control measures. Similarly to the third quarter, we also face risk of lingering COVID-19 operational disruption internationally as we enter the winter season. In this context, we will continue to focus on what we can control and react promptly if necessary. Now, absent of a pause in demand recovery or higher COVID-19 disruption, the fourth quarter activity will actually extend the, the trends expense as we close the third quarter. With the continuation of a modest activity uptake in North America and the stabilization towards a steady activity internationally, albeit with visible seasonal variations. The combination of which resulting into an about flat outlook overall for the quarter. Looking out further, the prevailing uncertainties make it much too early to call. However, directionally, and absent of a slowdown in the pace of economic recovery, we anticipate the overall activity to consolidate gradually during 2021. In line with the most, IEA, most recent IEA projections, we see that the conditions still exist to rebalance demand and supply, with improving demand recovery supported by economic stimulus measures and continued supply discipline from the major producer, ultimately resulting into a visible activity rebound. North American land is expected to continue its subdued recovery in fracked and drilling activity towards production maintenance levels. Internationally, as demand recovers, a pull on short cycle supply will result in an, in an activity inflection. This being anticipated by most operators currently evaluating options to restore activity. Having shared our view on the outlook, let me now hand over to Stefan, who will talk more about our financial results. Stefan. Thank you, Olivier, and good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Third quarter earnings per share, excluding charges and credits, was 16 cents. This represents an increase of 11 cents sequentially and a decrease of 27 cents when compared to the same quarter of last year. During the quarter, we recorded $350 million of pre-tax restructuring charges. These charges primarily relate to facility exit costs as we continue to rationalize our real estate footprint. As a result of these charges, our pre-tax operating income will increase by approximately $15 million per quarter going forward due to reduced lease and depreciation expenses. Overall, our third quarter revenue of $5.3 billion decreased 2% sequentially. Pre-tax segment operating margins increased 355 basis points to 10.9%. More importantly, company-wide adjusted EBITDA margins increased 371 basis points to 19.4%. As a reminder, our full-year 2019 adjusted EBITDA margin was 20.2%. In other words, we are well on our way to restoring our pre-crisis EBITDA margins of 2019, despite the severe revenue reduction we have experienced. This will be achieved through the combination of our restructuring actions and the high grading of our portfolio. As a reminder, our restructuring program will permanently remove <coughs> 
1.5 billion dollars of fixed costs on an annual basis. We have achieved more than 80% of these cash savings as of the end of the third quarter. We expect to complete most of the remaining actions as we exit the fourth quarter. As it relates to the high grading of our portfolio, we achieved two significant milestones this quarter with the signing of an agreement to divest our North American low-flow artificial leaf business in a cash transaction, followed by an agreement to contribute our one-steam pressure-pumping business to Liberty Oilfield Services in exchange for a 37% equity interest in Liberty. We received antitrust clearance for both transactions, and we anticipate each of the closings to occur before the end of the year. It is worth noting that both transactions will be accretive to our earnings in 2021. Let me now go through the third quarter results for each segment. Third quarter reservoir characterization revenue of 1 billion decreased 4% sequentially, while margins decreased 90 basis points to 16.7%. These decreases were primarily due to lower sales of Western GECO multi-client seismic licenses in North America offshore. Drilling revenue of 1.5 billion decreased 12% sequentially, while margins were essentially flat at 9.5%. The revenue decrease was driven by an activity decline in U.S. land, where the recount dropped significantly. Combined with COVID disruptions and customer budget adjustments in several international geo markets. Despite the revenue drop, margins were resilient as a result of cost reduction measures. Production revenue of 1.8 billion increased 12% sequentially and margins increased 11 percentage points to 12.6%. These increases were largely the result of a resumption of activity in our APS projects in Ecuador following last quarter's production interruption caused by a major landslide. One steam also increased on higher fleet utilization, while profitability improved across each of our completions, artificial lift, and well services product lines due to cost reduction measures. Cameron revenue of 1 billion decreased 5%, while margins decreased by 162 basis points to 6.3% on lower one subsea revenue in Asia and Europe as well as lower surface system equipment sales in North America. Now turning to our liquidity. I was again very pleased with our cash flow generation. During the quarter, we generated 479 million of cash flow from operations and 226 million of free cash flow, despite making 273 million of severance payments. This performance confirms that our cash flow generation capabilities remain intact. As a result, we will generate excess cash once our restructuring efforts are complete and therefore be in a position to deleverage the balance sheet. We ended the quarter with total cash and investment of 3.8 billion. Our net debt at the end of the quarter was 13.9 billion, an increase of 149 million compared to last quarter but down almost half a billion when compared to the same time last year. During the quarter, we spent 200 million on CapEx and invested 28 million in APS projects. 
our total capital spend for 2020, including APS and multi-client, is still expected to be approximately $1.5 billion. This represents a 45% decrease as compared to 2019, mostly coming from lower capex in North America and reduced investments in APS projects. We took further steps to strengthen the balance sheet during the quarter. We issued 500 million of 1.4% notes due 2025. The proceeds will be used to repay 2.2% notes that mature in November. We also issued 350 million of 2.65% notes due 2030. The proceeds were used to pay down commercial paper borrowings. Finally, we ended the quarter with available liquidity of 10.8 billion. Before I conclude, and just as a reminder, due to our corporate reorganization, we will report our results on the basis of the four new divisions starting in the fourth quarter. We are working to provide historical restated financial information based upon the new division structure and expect to publish this in November. I will now turn the conference call back to Olivier. Thank you, Stéphane. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we are ready to open the call for, for the questions. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, you may press 1 and then 0 for your questions or comments. Our first question will come from the line of James West with Evercore ISI, and your line is open. Hello, good morning, Olivia. Morning, James. Uh, first, just a, a statement from me. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you clearly stating the goal of returns above your cost of capital or value creation, uh, as we see it, because most of the industry has lacked that um, that progress uh, in the last decade or so. So thank you for, for stating that as a clear goal of Slumberger. The, um, the first question I have for you is you've taken several defining steps towards the, you know, the reinvention of Slumberger so far, you know, using this crisis to your you know, somewhat advantage. Um, could you talk maybe about the, the steps taken and then what we should expect uh, going forward? Good, great question, James. So thanks again. Uh, indeed, we are set to uh, continue to execute our strategy for improving our return above cost of capital. That, that's the foundation, okay? Right. And we'll do that in, in several ways, cash flow, uh, margins, uh, and discipline on, on capital, obviously. So right. you have seen that we have uh, not wasted a crisis, as we could say, uh, taking the opportunity to restructure our organization to uh, reset in a new, uh, what we expect, a new normal. Uh, and I think we have done that uh, in, the, in anticipating that the market uh, will be structurally smaller, albeit it will be defined by new attributes. One of them is the, the basin attribute, where we believe regionalization will become more critical, hence the creation of our basin structure to support our clients in their basin to outperform in every basin, and that's the fit-for-basin strategy uh, that is in light there. The second, obviously, uh, transition is digital, I think digital is happening everywhere, uh, in the office, in operation, uh, in, uh, in all aspects of our workflows, and we believe that this is a transformative step that we are ready to, to support. And last, I would say at very high level, I believe that uh, production recovery uh, will become more critical going forward as the mature asset will have to be, uh, the return on mature asset will have to be improved. At the same time, uh, 
energy transition from gas uh, technology uh, up to midstream, as well as uh, transition to new energy. I think this will give us the digital, the pollution recovery, the energy transition starting with gas will give us the element of growth that will then leverage our new operating platform with the division basin, as we have seen, restructured to give us the, the opportunity to much expand our margins and reach and exceed our return about, above cost of capital. That's, right. that's what we are set for to achieving, uh, James. Exactly. That's very good, Olivier. And then on the margin expansion um, comment, uh, you, you're sticking to the getting back to the 19 EBITDA margins by the end of 21. What needs to happen to, to drive that? Do we need market growth? Is it the cost outs you've already taken? What are the kind of key things we should be looking for to ensure that that happens? I think there are three elements. Uh, I think the first and foremost, and the one that had the most impact uh, to date in our quarter results is the restructuring we have done when we adjusted our permanent structure and viable costs to the new normal and to the new level of activity as we foresee. And I think this has, uh, has a significant amplifying impact on our, on our return margin expansion. So the second factor is, uh, is the continuation of our strategic execution in North America that aims at high grading our portfolio and taking steps to make sure that uh, we retain and continue to invest in a portfolio where we believe we can differentiate and create return above our, our threshold. And third is the uh, leverage of our international uh, footprint. So when you combine uh, the, the, the core measure on structural adjustments that we have done to lift our, our and reset our earnings power, uh, the action we have taken to uh, enhance significantly our margins in North America, our play in North America, and the inter international uh, mixed leverage, all of this, this will combine to elevate and gradually uh, build our EBITDA margin to the 20% to the or EBITDA of 2019, and we don't need much uh, growth to achieve this. Perfect. Thanks, Olivia. You're welcome. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Angeline Sadida, and your line is open. Angie. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Nice quarters. Um, so a little bit to James's question around the 2019 EBITDA margins, and if you – would you say, number one, that digital is further accretive to that 20% margin and the return to that 20% margin that you saw in 2019? And, and do you think of those margins as normalized for Schlumberger this cycle, or could it be better? And then finally on that is you said in your remarks $6.6 billion in EBITDA and half the revenue. That's certainly above consensus estimates for 21 and 22. Can you give us further color there and a timeline? Okay. <laughs> Comprehensive question, Angie. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so first on digital, is it accretive? Absolutely. It's accretive today. It's accretive tomorrow. I, I think it will be uh, accretive in the future at the step that is certainly uh, pulling uh, uh, our margins up. And I think what we are looking for to accelerate is our growth, uh, CAGR, uh, so that it is uh, uh, accretive not in, in the future at a, at a larger scale. So digital is and will be accretive on the way forward, absolutely. Um, the second question uh, you ask is the, um, on, on, the, uh, on the EBITDA of, of 2019, if I understand correctly, what you, what you asked for, Angie, to re reiterate. Uh, so yes, yes, I think we are, 
we're clear on, on, on our ability to deliver this uh, EBITDA uh, margin improvement to uh, 20% uh, above in, in the short term. And, uh, and the mix is uh, the mix we need, as, as I said uh, and commented with, uh, with James, is very clear. It's a combination of international, our restructuring, and, uh, and uh, international exposure that we have that are greatly uh, accretive to this. Uh, finally, you asked a question about um, when and, and how we will uh, go beyond this. Um, our mid-cycle uh, margin ambition is, uh, is above that, that level. We are at the trough at uh, operating already very close to this uh, 2019, having operated a reset of our margins. Our expectation is uh, continue to grow and expand, again, building our international franchise, building and accelerating our, our digital and, and getting the full truth on this, but also continue to execute on our capital discipline, capital stewardship that will high-grade our portfolio and will resolve some of the still outstanding underperforming business units. So you combine uh, growth internationally uh, the power of digital and our discipline on capital stewardship and addressing our, our underperforming contract, you have the recipe to uh, expand the margin beyond this 20%, and, um, and you can make the math. I think uh, we would expect indeed that uh, with half the, half the revenue uh, um, uh, coming back uh, from 2019, we will expect to be in a position to reach or exceed this uh, dollar EBITDA contribution. So uh, I think when is this happening? Uh, sometime in the future, uh, not 2021, clearly. Uh, 2022 will be the beginning of a cycle of uh, international expansion. That's uh, very likely. And after that, uh, there will be uh, uh, some time. But uh, we believe this is in, in, uh, in sight. And that's, that's what we are working to, towards. Okay. Wonderful. That was a very good answer. Thank you, Olivier. So one more on Liberty. Um, maybe you could talk about the transaction in a little bit more detail, the magnitude of the accretion opportunity, the access to the customer and well site without having frack, and, and the determination of when you'll exit Liberty. Are you a medium-term owner or a long-term owner of those shares? I'll let uh, Stefan answer some, and I will, I will answer uh, on, the, on the customer engagement. Please, Stefan, on the transaction. Yeah, sure, uh, Angie. We, we are actually progressing quite well on our uh, integration planning. Uh, the good news, we are identifying through this process additional synergies and, and opportunities for technology collaboration that makes this, uh, this combination even more compelling than we initially contemplated. So the, we are quite happy with, uh, with partner, partnering with Liberty. We, uh, we believe there's quite a lot of uh, upside potential in the, comp in the combined company as the, company as the synergies are realized and the market starts to recover. So we will benefit from the North American uh, unconventional recovery as our equity stake will continue to appreciate and we will also leverage our technology alliance with Liberty. So it is premature in that context to talk about monetization considering where we stand in the cycle, but that will, of course, remain an option over the longer term. We, we have not set a timeline for this. We have not set a target price, uh, but it will always remain an option. In terms of uh, accretion, uh, we've stated it will be accretive from, uh, from day one. So uh, uh, going into 2021, it will, be, uh, it will be positive for sure on our uh, EPS, EBITDA, and, uh, and margins overall. Yeah, I can only reinforce that uh, I think our value proposition, uh, the value proposition of uh, Liberty on, on the 
on the market uh, with our existing customer, I think is, is undoubtedly uh, very strong with this uh, platform uh, as a pure play, the largest uh, pure play frac company. Uh, but we are putting in place uh, the uh, contract and, and service level agreement uh, across both companies to uh, cross-license technology and to create pull-through uh, so that we can extend uh, uh, the liberty uh, um, uh, workflow and the, uh, the value proposition well site, and we can pull them on some of the contracts we have on well construction or over uh, contract where we participate across and uh, around the frac operation. So clearly, uh, for both, they uh, beneficiary on, on both. Great. Thanks. I'll turn it over. Thank you. Next, we will go to the line of David Anderson with Barclays, and your line is open. Uh, great, thank you. Uh, good morning, Olivier. Um, so, so digital has been a core. Digital, you've, you've talked about digital being a core part of Schlumberger's growth strategy, and, and you've stated the goal is to double the revenue in the medium term. Curious, kind of where acquisitions fit in that part of, as part of the goal. I ask, because back in the '90s, of course, Petrel and Eclipse were, were crucial to your success that followed the 2000s, and it's still a big part of your offering. But and more recently, you've announced kind of partnerships and venture-backed companies you're involved in. I'd just like to understand a little bit more about your digital growth strategy as you build this business out. Yeah, good question, Dave. Thank you. I think uh, first and foremost, uh, our strategy revolves around a, a digital platform, establishing a digital platform for industry, both on the, um, in the geosound subsurface uh, um, side, uh, building on our desktop offering today and building up on our, on our market, uh, market strengths and establishing with um, what we did with OSDU, an open platform foundation with data ecosystem shared with the industry and offering Delphi as the foundation for this. So we believe that uh, this transition to the cloud will cement uh, our desktop leadership position we have today and uh, expand and create growth opportunity with new uh, 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 transition similar to the Chevron, similar to the Suncor, similar to the uh, to the Woodside transition that we are doing with the Delphi core expanding into, into the cloud. So this alone is a growth avenue. Uh, the second one is, um, is digital operation, as I will call it, and I think it extends Delphi uh, to the drilling uh, or to the production space. Uh, but also we, have extending, uh, we have been extending and using the concept of digital platform to also introduce what we call Agora, a gateway uh, and a platform that offers opportunity to uh, plug AI or edge application uh, on equipment. And I think you have seen two examples of which we described into the press release uh, earlier today. And I think this is another expansion. So that's the second axis of, uh, of uh, expanding beyond uh, the core, beyond zero sounds, and expanding into uh, operation. And the third, I think, is the domain of, um, of AI uh, and of offering services for our customer to extract more from their workflow uh, across, the, across and using uh, uh, an element of our platform, not necessarily the application, but using the platform as a, as a basis for creating value to their own IP, to their own uh, integration capability, and, and where we act as a system integrator and we act as a, as a support for their, for their uh, workflow. So uh, these are the avenue of growth. So we'll continue to make a partnership as a basis for building these uh, platform stacks and we will, and when as appropriate, we believe that we have, uh, if we believe we have uh, gaps into our offering in, in operation or in uh, geosounds or in AI, we will make um, a bolt-on acquisition, as we call it, 
to supplement or to complement this so that we better respond to this and, and expand in new energy or expand into the, the gas midstream, for example, uh, using the same platform. Um, so, uh, Olivia, I think one of the struggles for investors is taking digital from a conceptual um, idea into real-life practice. And you, you mentioned Agora several times in the release today, and I was wondering if you could talk about two things. If you could talk about Agora and the IBM Red Hat agreement, kind of two separate things here. Agora being more edge computing driven, maybe you could just talk about kind of what is the best application? Where do you see that fitting in terms of your business? Like what's the most obvious application of where you can really make a difference? And secondarily, in the IBM Red Hat, you've targeted NOCs okay. as being the customer. So what is, what is that bringing to the NOC customer? Okay, so first Agora, uh, simply said, Agora brings us the ability to, uh, to bring on every piece of equipment on the platform, on, on, on the rig, uh, an ability to connect uh, this piece of equipment to uh, the cloud and to our platform, and yet offering uh, at this point, at this edge, uh, an open platform where partners can provide and can plug their application, AI application typically, that uh, will add value to this, uh, to this data feed. The perfect example is what you have seen on the, uh, on the Petronas application where well, we have not been developing this uh, video, uh, video uh, uh, sparsing uh, analysis tool. One of our partners have just deployed their video uh, tool onto our platform and uh, connected to the camera, and we serve as a gateway back to the, to the cloud. So we just uh, uh, provide a platform that uh, our customer are licensing and are, are installing on their, on their equipment, and then their own partners, our partners, are creating value with, uh, with AI routines or AI application at the edge that connects to the cloud. That's what we provide in a secure way. Red Hat OpenShift, simply said, uh, is an ability to provide multiplicity of options for cloud deployment uh, for our customers that offer hybrid cloud deployments on-premise and public and address the concern that some of our customers in some country uh, were facing that they cannot... Uh, export uh, their data to the public clouds uh, because it is uh, it is a uh, uh, um, data present data residency issue or they believe they need to control and have in-house premise uh, cloud infrastructure uh, for these two solutions we provide uh, through openshift an ability to uh, deploy delphi on on-premise uh, cloud infrastructure or uh, on cloud that are not public cloud hence uh, addressing a, a, a market that we cannot address today. It's about 50% it's about, uh, of the market today, 50% of the country that uh, don't have uh, or would not prefer to use uh, public cloud uh, for their hosting their data that we're unlocking to this. So we're unlocking a significant part of the uh, market. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks. You're welcome. Our next question comes from the line of Kurt with RBC. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, good. Olivia. Good morning. How is everyone? Good. Good morning. Thank good morning. you. Uh, so, Olivia, I just uh, wanted to uh, congratulate you and your team on a very fast uh, pivot through an extremely difficult situation. I know you highlighted digital, you know, way back when you first uh, joined in September and then reiterated in, in, in January, and it sounds like it's already paying, you know, dividends uh, for you. So, so kudos on that, on that quick pivot. Um, Thank you. My, 
My, uh, my question for, for you, Olivia, is, you know, we've seen uh, a lot of uh, recent commentary out of the major oil companies about their shift of budget uh, from, you know, uh, intensive fossil fuel dynamics to, you know, more uh, green uh, renewables and, and so on and so forth, with BP probably being the most radical, you know, in that process. Um, trying to connect the dots here, but it seems like uh, with the clean energy business that you established back in the spring, uh, it sets Schlumberger up to be very well positioned in line with the potential future spending plans of, uh, of some of your existing customers. So I was just wondering if you could you know, give us a little bit more insights on, on how you view potentially the clean energy business evolving over time. No, great question, Kurt. I think uh, obviously we see uh, it's not only a, a trend that we want to capture with our existing customers. I think obviously some of our customer segments are uh, transitioning into a uh, different role as energy company and wants to add to their portfolio beyond oil and gas, including some technology and some renewables uh, in which we also have interest. But I think at large, uh, what we have realized is that we have a technology platform. We have a, uh, an ability to deploy at scale uh, technology. We have a subsurface knowledge. When you combine all of this, we believe that uh, we have market position that we can take, develop, uh, into the, the new energy business, be it on renewable, be it on uh, energy storage, or be it on, uh, on hydrogen. And, and I think this is uh, where we are uh, developing our venture today. We are developing it in uh, geothermal, both low heat and, and deep geothermal. Uh, that's very uh, adjacent to our business because it e exploits our subsurface knowledge, our drilling well construction, and our ability to, to manage, uh, manage uh, heat flows uh, from subsurface to surface and, and provide digital platform to control it. So that's, uh, that's where we're heading. Uh, the uh, hydrogen is, uh, is very, very uh, interesting for us because it's, uh, it's a huge opportunity, partially uh, led by uh, EU with the Green Deal. And uh, there are two avenues there. One avenue is the green hydrogen or electrolyzer. Where we believe we, with our new venture, Genvia, in a position to create differentiated uh, offering on the market to provide the market uh, with um, uh, higher efficiency and a more more versatile uh, electrolyzer that can uh, feed this uh, 40 gigawatt uh, capacity that EU is planning for 2030. And um, and finally, I think uh, we will continue to also look into CCS, which is again close to our core but not CCS application for oil and gas, but CCS application to uh, decarbonize the hard-to-abate sector, uh, ammonia or SMR for hydrogen production through uh, gas. Uh, and these are the sectors that uh, are outside of our oil and gas customer that where we believe we can add value. And when you combine all of this, this is a very exciting future on the, with new energy, and we are taking position today for the long run. That's great. appreciate that insight. Um, my follow-up question would be, Olivia, you mentioned uh, the prospect for short-cycle projects uh, to accelerate, especially in the international markets when uh, heading out into 2022. And, and I know you don't want to get pinned down to any kind of specifics, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, how, how you would think about the, uh, you know, the magnitude of, of rebound. And, again, you don't have to get too specific here, but just wondering, you know, how, how sharp of a rebound you would expect. And, and maybe you know what what geographic regions you would you would think would lead the way. Yeah, I think what we see is that uh, clearly, uh, I think the level of uh, investment that currently going into international is not sustainable. 
I think for two reasons. I think the, the, the demand supply will rebalance and we create a pool on supply worldwide. And I think this will be pulling on international as well as the US, uh, North America. The North America has suffered from uh, a setback that is creating a gap in the future uh, uh, supply. So I think the conditions are set. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? There's a lot of feedback. Yes, I think the feedback is gone. Thank you. That's better. So, okay, so I think short cycle is set to, to come back first and then long cycle. Uh, the timing of this and the magnitude, I think, will depend on the, obviously, on the demand, uh, all demand uh, pace, uh, uh, recovery pace. Uh, but what we can say is that um, customers are already engaging and uh, are asking us to be ready for mobilization, uh, be it in short or, or midterm, to make sure that we are not uh, getting in the wrong direction to cut capacity beyond, uh, beyond uh, what they will need in the short to midterm. So I would expect the the, uh, the low-cost uh, producer country and on the core of OPEC Plus to be the first to react and to rebound uh, when the market will, uh, will be there. So that includes uh, Middle East, that includes Russia, obviously. Uh, beyond that, I think uh, we, are, we will see um, short cycle everywhere. China will continue to be uh, executing on their uh, energy strategy, so I don't expect this to be slowing down. And then we will see gradually... Um, infield drilling, uh, we'll see the, the shallow water coming back, and um, there is a lot of FID ready to be approved uh, that will then accelerate back to deep water. So I think there will be a sequence in this, but the uh, short cycle will come back both onshore and offshore, and uh, will come back uh, certainly sometime in 2021 and clearly in 2022. That's great. Thanks, Olivia. I appreciate that color. Thank you. Next, we will go to the line of Scott Gruber with Citigroup, and your line is open. Scott, good morning. Olivia, I want to come back to the uh, renewables question. Um, you highlighted several interesting uh, initiatives. Um, do you have an aspiration for renewables to be a certain percentage of revenues by pick your year, 2025, 2030? And just given your scale, what does this mean for CapEx spend, R&D spend, and and overall, how do you think about balancing a desire to see a, what I believe would be your desire to see a measurable portion of your revenue stream becoming leveraged to renewables while also continuing to, uh, to drive improved financial performance? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's too early to, um, to quote the number. I think it's something that we are working and, and we are continue to, uh, to develop our strategy. Uh, but I think uh, I would not call it renewable. I think it's more than renewable. And it's not, it intersects renewable, but I think it's the technology approach we have. And it's not necessarily, don't, don't expect us to buy wind farms and go after capital projects. So that's not, uh, not our intent. Our intent is to continue to play and build on our strengths, strengths being uh, technology, uh, being the technology partners for uh, renewable companies, being technology partners for some, some of our current existing customers, being a, a technology partner for uh, addressing new a, a new economy, such as the hydrogen economy. I think this is where we, we, we want to be. Um, obviously, I want to be, this to be uh, meaningful. Uh, I want to be at scale and in the next decade, for sure, because I think at that time we want to be in a position where 
uh, we believe will be uh, diversifying our portfolio and building and, and leveraging the growth that is existing in these to make sure that we are uh, having a diversified portfolio, but still a technology portfolio and a service and technology offering uh, with solution to this market. So again, it's a, it's a long-term ambition with short-term uh, uh, investment that are helping us to create market positions that are unique and that will gradually uh, uh, being, uh, being uh, reinforced and will take a bigger position on the one we believe have the most potential in the coming years. Gotcha. And I just want to circle back on the 20% EBITDA margin target for next year. Uh, you did about 19% 3Q, and what I imagine is likely close to 20% X the to be divested businesses. It just seems that 20% is uh, is easily achievable, if not beatable, next year. But what am I missing? Is there still some concern around pricing um, as contracts roll into next year? Is there some concern that you know, maybe customer spending abroad won't lift that much over the course of 21? But why shouldn't we consider the 20% EBITDA margin a, a relatively low bar, just given your 3Q performance? No, it's a, first, it's a, the way we define it is a full year for your target we are, we are taking. Uh, it will happen before the end of 2021. We believe that the trajectory of the year with a gradual recovery will give us the opportunity to create a full year uh, a target that will, uh, that will be set at this level or exceed. Uh, do, we, do we anticipate and fear more, more pricing? Uh, no. Uh, I think the pricing, has been, the pricing pressure has been with us uh, for the last six years. I think, uh, as I commented before, I think we have been giving away, uh, uh, and the industry at large have been under pressure for this. Uh, the industry now is realizing that uh, there's so much uh, we can give, and we are working more collaboratively with our customers to find solutions to eliminate waste. Now, obviously, large integrated contracts are still competitively priced, but we see that through performance, through technology, and through, uh, through uh, um, smart uh, engagement and alignment with our customer, we're able to, um, to uh, offset those uh, pricing and competitive pressure and, uh, and realize, uh, realize um, uh, margin resilience. So uh, pricing is and will remain with us uh, in, this, uh, in, this, uh, in these years to come, uh, possible uh, uh, headwinds, but uh, mostly on large integrated contracts. I believe that when activity will come back, we'll get opportunity to get uh, to get price back uh, pricing in the in the right market. Great, appreciate the color. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Our next question comes from the line of Sean Meekham with J.P. Morgan. Then your line is open. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, Sean. So, Lydia, I think the energy transition topic naturally kind of begs the question about the outlook for international EMP spending in the coming cycle. You know, I appreciate the earlier comments on the cadence of how work will come back, say, next year, but what's also going to be different in this cycle is that your customers have additional calls on their cash flow that are being prioritized before upstream spending, right? IOCs are diverting more capital towards renewables. That's the plan. Independents have a first call on their cash to their balance sheets. I'm just curious how those factors influence your expectation around the international spending cycle, and specifically offshore, as IOCs control most of the, specifically deep water acreage globally. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a correct assumption. I think we, we believe that what will happen is that the market will consolidate around basin position, 
that uh, each of the major and large independents will concentrate on their basing of basing plays and, and our strengths. I believe that uh, we have to be smart about uh, aligning with our customers in those key basins, be it around their uh, uh, core assets, uh, such as uh, uh, Exxon in Guyana, such as uh, some of our IOCs in, in Brazil or in, uh, in, uh, in East Africa. Um, we'll, uh, we'll make sure that we align ourselves with those so that we maximize the uptake of market uh, uh, position in those, uh, in those basins and continue to execute our fit for basin and engagement with customers to make sure we maximize those positions. So that, that's the first thing we want to do. Next, I, I will comment that the, the national company are part of the mix, and I think uh, the deep water is indeed uh, more domain where international companies dominate, and I think we have their very strong position. But uh, from shallow to land, uh, there is a lot of um, activity that is pulled both short and long cycle uh, by national company. And the, uh, in, in Middle East, uh, most of the most of the offshore activity is not all of the offshore activity is led by uh, by uh, national company and is going uh, fairly well and has been more resilient uh, than the land activity. So we will hold on those positions and make sure that we continue, as we have seen, some contracts have been awarded in this domain continue to uh, pursue this. So we, we understand that the, the market will be structurally different than, than what we could have anticipated five years ago, but we believe that uh, the position around key basins uh, of, of, uh, of strengths from our, our customers and aligning ourselves with this will provide us the opportunity to capture most of this international growth coming back. Got it, understood, I appreciate that. Um... And then I wanted to touch on reservoir characterization as well. And that segment's experienced a lot of volatility in its margins the last couple of quarters, much more than we've seen historically. I'm just curious how you characterize the, the gravitational center for those margins. Uh, once the business has cost reductions impacted, et cetera, you know, what do you, how do you think that business looks like on a, on a full year basis uh, once, we, once we get it, uh, through the, the, this, these near-term challenges? I think uh, I will, the comment I will offer on this is that uh, this market is, uh, is a market where uh, the exploration market sits and the exploration market is set from discretionary spend and uh, it uh, includes the multi-cloud sales that historically have been a little bit of a swing that uh, depends on the season and depends also on the, uh, the exploration uh, uh, discretionary budget that is uh, available for customers to invest in future exploration acreage. So that has left uh, a little bit of viability. The viability has been bigger uh, in, in recent time because the, the proportionate, proportionate uh, uh, scale of uh, exploration has, has, uh, has reduced. Hence, uh, when exploration campaign comes back, uh, which happens uh, every other season, and when they discretionary spent on exploration through multi-clouds, this combined to create a strong, very strong quarter. And, uh, but at the base, uh, the, the, the related uh, testing, wireline, and, and digital are still, uh, are still performing very well. Uh, software was growing this, uh, this quarter, uh, one of the very few uh, uh, product line that did grow uh, quarter on quarter and did grow, uh, as an example. So expect this to be the, the consequence of uh, most of the exposure we have on discretionary exploration spend and the, the exploration campaign uh, viability that we see quarter on quarter. This is the this is the most of the rationale for this, more than any uh, core issue we will have in any of the 
product line that are there. Now, commenting in the future, we will not comment anymore on reservoir characterization, as we will comment on the new divisions that we are setting in place. And uh, this will be part of it will be in digital, part of it will be in uh, reservoir performance division. So you will get more detail on this in the coming months. That's right. Fair enough. Thanks, Olivier. Thank you, Sean. Our next question comes from the line of Chris Boy with Wells Fargo, and your line is open. Thanks. Good morning. First uh, question, just a little bit of a clarification. Sorry if I missed this, but I believe your your opening remarks on on the outlook suggested flat quarter to quarter in the fourth quarter. Is it fair to assume that that applies at the EBITDA line, so just north of a billion dollars? That, that's a fair assumption. I think uh, we have some we have some uh, favorable and unfavorable play uh, that we believe uh, will balance out, and uh, the ambition will be indeed to maintain roughly the both the, the margins and the, um, and the dollar uh, on, on, on about flat. Okay, thanks, that's helpful. And then secondly, uh, I wonder if you could just get a little more detail on the progression for the cost savings. Uh, I guess you were exiting about 80% in the third quarter, should be almost done in the fourth quarter, but maybe 60-ish million dollars incremental. Uh, should, we, should we think there's much left in 2021 from that? And is that international, or I imagine that's mostly international-based but is, is there any progress there in North America as well? Stefan? Yeah, I'll take this, um, Chris. There is, uh, yes, we were above, uh, quite a bit above 80%, so uh, there is a bit left. There will be still a bit left uh, going into Q1. It is mostly on the uh, on the international, the tail end of it, and North America is, is mostly complete. Uh, so, so you, so you will see a, a bit more, uh, a bit more push from this in um, in Q4, but some remainder are going into uh, the first half next year. Does this okay. answer your question? And then the cost in, sorry, uh, and just to, to finish up on on that restructuring piece, but the cost saving, the cost of those savings is pretty light compared to expectations in the third quarter, around 273. Do you think those costs would be higher in the fourth quarter? Um, I, I think expectations are near a billion for the second half. So will, will the cost of savings be much higher in the fourth quarter? Yeah, it's not an exact science there, to be honest. There is uh, the, the cash outlays, uh, they, they get spread out. Uh, it, it could be a little bit higher in, in the fourth quarter. However, uh, the, the cash flow from operations traditionally in the fourth quarter also increases. So, uh, so I think we could very well end up with, uh, with free cash flow including uh, severance, still still quite positive, and, and if everything goes well, could even be higher than in Q3, even though we have higher severance, potentially. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Our next question will come from the line of Bill Herbert with Simmons Energy, and your line is open. Yeah, good morning. Um, morning, Bill. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, at, at, at this point, uh, based upon the dialogue uh, that you're having with your international customers, of course, international on a pro forma basis is going to be 80% of revenues once we uh, consummate one stem. But you mentioned uh, strong customer engagement uh, with regard to the dialogue that you're having for international. At, at, at this point, do you think international revenues – in 2021 or up year over year? I think the, 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 the way you look at, uh, we look at it, uh, is to look at the current level of activity 
and we use uh, more or less the second half of this year as a baseline because I think the reset uh, for international oil company has happened in the second quarter, for independent has happened in the second and the third, and for national company has happened in the third. So the reset of activity has happened in the last six months. Now we believe that uh, we have stabilized and we have seen it in the last, uh, the last few weeks and we don't believe that uh, aside from seasonal impact, we don't believe that there will be a, a structural uh, adjustment in, in a short term. Uh, and that, that's our baseline. So from that baseline, we will anticipate this to, be, uh, to, be, to, to get an upside okay, from, from that baseline and to gradually recover from that baseline upward. Now, to, to compare it year on year, including the, 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 the first quarter of, of this year up to the mixed uh, international uh, second quarter, including the significant effort in Middle East to, to increase supply early Q2, uh, I don't think it's, uh, is, is realistic. Uh, we have to take the baseline of, of the second half of this year and, and project forward and from that base uh, build back a recovery. Uh, fair, but the COVID-related disruptions that you witnessed in Q3, I would assume, hopefully, are not going to be as acute in uh, 2021. Uh, but moving on, with regard to <laughs> yeah, with regard to your high grading of your portfolio, um, we have announced one stem. Uh, and low flow. I'm just curious in terms of what are the most tangible high grading opportunities remaining in your portfolio? I think we will continue to focus on each and every uh, business line we have operating in North America. We have already uh, made effort to uh, rationalize and to make sure that we uh, operate in the, in the basin of North America where we believe uh, we can sustain a differentiation and participate fully uh, going forward, we have made a choice to accelerate some uh, technology access and fit for basin in uh, in some part of our portfolio to high grade their performance. So I, I would say that um, all of our portfolio, uh, the entire uh, business line, I would say, has opportunity to improve uh, their returns by by tuning. And, and I think what we have done on structural reset is lifting, and uh, the the business line have improved this quarter beyond one steam the performance of. North America business line this quarter have improved. So we have a way to go to further improve this and to, to target our uh, 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 recovery of margin in North America. And I would say that uh, we do that on both the growth uh, for the market where we have uh, strong alignment, the well construction, the production recovery, the digital. And we do that on the, on the bottom line where we continue to use technology access or restructuring to make sure that we, uh, we execute uh, with, uh, with the return uh, we desire in, in this uh, North America. So we'll continue to, to, uh, to gradually uh, uh, improve the performance. That's our goal. What I meant by high grading, though, was, the, was, the, um, was additional disposition opportunities in your portfolio. I will not comment on that. I think we continue to look at uh, every portfolio uh, and we look, uh, look at it from the light of... Uh, does it uh, bring us the, the growth and accretive return opportunity in the long run? Or uh, do we have a better way to monetize and to, uh, uh, and to be uh, occasionally opportunistic about this portfolio? So this is true for those portfolios there and as well as in other markets. But we continue to look at it and uh, we, will be, uh, we will be disciplined to making the, the right decision for the, for the shareholder here. Okay, thank you. 
Thank you. You're welcome. We have time for, we have time for one final question, and that will be from the line of Connor Lene with Morgan Stanley. And your line is open. Please go ahead. Thanks. Thanks for squeezing me in, and good morning. Morning, Connor. Um, I was wondering, maybe a, a higher level one to close it out here. So we're we're about to get a look at um, your your new reporting structure, and I know that digital and integration is probably the one that you have the most excitement about growing and improving uh, earnings from. But but if we remove that from the equation, when we take a look at at what you guys are doing in say the third quarter in, in the reservoir performance, well construction, production systems, et cetera. Um, where would you sort of point us to in the near term and, you know, by near term, I mean, over the next 12 to 18 months here, where would you see the greatest opportunities for improvement in earnings? And would you say that that is more driven by costs or more driven by uh, select growth opportunities in those portfolios? Well, set, setting aside DNI, which have both uh, a margin expansion opportunity and a growth on the back of digital indeed, uh, I think uh, we can look at it from well construction where we believe that our market position will benefit from the return of, uh, of uh, meta drilled uh, worldwide and uh, efficiency, efficiency of our platform, efficiency of our integration capability that we have formed by putting this well construction. So uh, this has, uh, has an opportunity to solidify our market leadership position and expand and get the benefit of scale. The reservoir performance is where we combine uh, our subsurface and our unique service that exploit uh, both in, in exploration, in development, and in production intervention, the power of our service uh, connected to the reservoir and to the unique domain knowledge. So I think here we have unique technology differentiation and unique domain knowledge that uh, when the market will need to extract uh, and be more efficient on existing assets to find the next, uh, the next tieback opportunity or to uh, exploit an existing asset to the, to the next, uh, next life extension, we have fantastic uh, reservoir performance technology. And last is production system. I think here this is a story of uh, growth. This is a story of uh, expanding horizon beyond uh, uh, what we have today, which is from uh, and beyond uh, and into the midstream. This is a story of addressing the gas uh, market uh, opportunity and connecting, uh, connecting the well to the, to the subsea, to the surface and creating a unique integration, integrated production system uh, with digital as a, as a unique uh, element. So recovery through production system and reserve performance is what we want to propose to the market. All right, that's helpful. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you very much, Connor. So thank you, thank you everyone for having attended this call. So before we end this call, I would like to leave you with uh, four key takeaways. First quarter was another quarter of operational and financial up performance, made possible by discipline and execution. We made significant progress on the execution of our strategy with key milestones in restructuring, North America strategy, and expanding the reach of our digital platform. The reset of our earnings power is progressing very well. We anticipate significantly improved operational leverage when we put the trough behind us and activity rebounds providing us with a platform to materially expand our EBITDA margins and earnings. The quarter was another strong free cash flow performance in the cycle trough, a meaningful, a meaningful step closer to our double-digit free cash flow ambition that will support our priority on deleveraging our balance sheet. Lastly, the deployment of our new customer-focused organization and our fit-for-basin approach provide us with a great platform 
to capitalize on a market recovery and deliver on this path. In conclusion, we are executing our performance strategy and are determined to continue taking bold actions to secure resilience and reposition ourselves as clear leaders, both in performance measured by our customers and returns measured by our shareholders. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our call. Operator, you may now disconnect. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That does conclude your conference call for today. Thank you for your participation and for using AT&T Executive Teleconference Service. You may now disconnect. <laughs>